Good morning. Along with Pastor Shane, I welcome everyone to worship. And I invite you to open your Bibles or one of the Pew Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, today we'll ponder verses 15 through 22 and consider that Christ is the only mediator between God and man. Now, as recently published in our mission, vision, and value statements, I'm glad for the opportunities that we're having to sharpen our focus. And the preamble, or perhaps the opening statement of our core values, is this, that all of Scripture points to Jesus Christ as a fulfillment of God's plan of redemption for His people, which culminated, or culminated in His headship over the church. Therefore, Christ Himself informs and shapes all that we are and all that we do as a church. So indeed, there is much to see in the verses before us uh, explaining what it is to have Jesus Christ as our mediator of a new covenant. You will notice here that Hebrews 9 verse 15 begins with the therefore. It is a translation of the Greek prepositional phrase, and for this reason, this of course connects us to the preceding verses that Pastor David took us through last week. Last week, we saw that the Old Testament system of law and the shed blood of animals could never, ever give us eternal redemption, nor could it give us a sense of intimate access to God. For this reason, therefore, we need a new covenant and we need a high uh, priestly mediator who accomplishes these things for us. The only one, of course, who can do this is Jesus Christ himself. So please now hear the reading of God's Word as it calls and directs us to focus upon our Savior. Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved... The death of the one who made it must be established, for a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force, as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop. And he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word and pray that you would flood our hearts and minds with a fresh appreciation of the grace which is ours in Jesus Christ. By the power of the Spirit, help us to understand that we may rest and live his death and mediation on our behalf each day. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, since the time of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago, many people have stumbled over the reality that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, 
would need to become the mediator of a new covenant relationship between God and His people, especially with the need to shed His blood to atone for the sins of His people. Now, when Jesus announced to the twelve uh, that he had to go to Jerusalem which, in which and where he would suffer and die, the apostle Peter rebuked him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall ne- never happen to you. And the apostle Paul later wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Now, there are numerous covenants mentioned in Scripture alluding to a bond made between God and man and also as covenants between men. The, context in our, the contrast, though, in our text this morning is upon what is called the Old Covenant, ratified by Moses and the giving of the law and the sprinkling of the blood of the covenant. It's contrasted with the New Covenant, which is mediated by Christ in the sacrificial offering of his own blood upon the cross. Now, our writer has already established the inadequacy of the old covenant, not because it was bad in and of itself, but because, rather, of the total inability of you and me in order to keep the covenant or the law with perfection. He goes as far as declare the old covenant obsolete in light of the new covenant in Christ. This was back in Hebrews chapter 8. And yet in the Old Testament, in Exodus 24, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord as he was commanded. This was right after that he received the Ten Commandments for the people of God. It revealed the Old Testament law covenant, and it was read to the people of Israel. Moses took blood, he sprinkled it it on the people, and he said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of his words. But listen to this. The 24th chapter of Exodus opens with these words. You shall worship God from afar. All but Moses. In other words, right at the outset of the Old Testament law, worship was uh, at a point that no one can, could get real close to God. As our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ had to come into this world and be a sacrifice. He was the only one who could take care of all of the legal matters that would make it possible for us to be in a close covenant relationship with our Heavenly Father. Indeed, the shed blood of Jesus Christ gives us that close relationship with God in a new covenant of grace that we could never have under the old covenant of the law. So indeed, Jesus Christ is the only mediator between man and God himself. He bridges the infinite gulf of alienation between God and men and women who are sinful. He secures our eternal inheritance through his death, and he assures us of certain forgiveness of sin through his blood. These are the verses before us, and we begin in verse 19 recognizing that Jesus Christ is the mediator of this new covenant relationship that we enjoy with God. Now, most of us realize that the role of the mediator is to bring two opposing sides together. 
As mediator, the ministry of Christ was to bridge the huge gap, the infinite gulf between God who is holy and just and you and me who sin and who have broken relationship with our Heavenly Father because we continue to fall short of His perfection. So the role of Jesus as mediator is to restore us into relationship to the living God and to bring us into close intimacy with Him. And this is the beauty of the new covenant. Again, verse 11 takes us back, or verse, uh, the first verse here, verse 15, takes us back to what is preceding by saying, Therefore, the blood of bulls and goats sprinkled cleanses the flesh so that a person that had been defiled could ceremoniously re-enter the fellowship of the community and re-engage in worship. Yet the blood of Christ does so much more. His blood offered through the eternal spirit cleanses the conscience from dead works and also from trespasses from our sins that the redeemed may be free from their sin and free to serve the living Christ. So in one sense, as we look at this very first verse, verse 15, the question is framed, as the blood of bulls and goats may suffice for eternal issues, Uh, external issues in terms of being able to come into the house of God and worship, and that the blood of Christ obtains eternal redemption for all of life and into the future, which will you trust? Without question, the covenant accomplishes what the old covenant could never do. This is the new covenant. And of course, we first read of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, where the writer has already outlined the blessings of this new covenant back in Hebrews chapter 8. And like the old covenant that was bilateral, meaning that both parties had to own up to certain stipulations or the covenant would be broken, the new covenant is unilateral, implying that God has taken on the entire demands of the covenant himself on behalf of those of us who receive its blessings. Now, this is setting up for us tremendous grace, mercy, and love that we know and may experience. But in this new covenant, rather than seeing the law and trying with futility to obey its commands, the new covenant promises the indwelling Holy Spirit. And it is the Spirit that helps us and makes us the will of God, our love, and not our chore. The Old Covenant limited the worshipers' access to God through ceremonies and rituals in the tabernacle. Yet the New Covenant declares that the believer will live in conscious relationship with God who said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Now while the Old Covenant dealt with ceremonial cleanliness, the New Covenant removes the guilt of our sin. It cleanses our conscience and declares us to be forgiven of sins. Who can serve to mediate such an extraordinary covenantal agreement with God? It is clear it is Christ and Christ alone. Who through the offering of His body, His blood, mediated the way between God and us. Jesus Christ alone represents the interest of both God and man with perfection. As a God-man, Jesus Christ bridges the infinite gulf between God and man, a gulf created by our sinfulness and demanded by God's holiness. His sacrifice upon the cross 
brings us into relationship with God. And before we leave this first point, this first verse, it's incredible to see the scope of Christ's role as our mediator of the new covenant. For first of all, we see that his mediatorial work means that those who have been called will receive the internal inheritance. The tense of the verb here, called, suggests an eternal act of God that is carried out with certainty. It's the perfect passive tense of the verb, to be called. And it means that what God has set in motion, accomplished through His Son, will incur that those who are called will respond to that call. Meaning that we come to Christ and we receive all the blessings of our inheritance. For He adopts us as his own children. You know, the ancient Jews were concerned with land and with vineyards, yet the new covenant transcends that for an inheritance that defies description and that has no ending. Peter says it so well. We read it this morning uh, in our call to worship. He brings us to an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. It will not fade away. It is kept in heaven for you. Now, secondly, though, think about what this work does. The mediation of Christ also means that transgressors whom he has called will be redeemed. We are in bondage to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. And because of sinners, we are in bondage to sin and to Satan. We need a mediator to go forth to pay the ransom price of his own life. To redeem us out of that bondage. Jesus, of course, said of himself in the Gospel of Mark that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, dear friends, this morning, know that the only place where a sinner may find complete redemption to be free from their sin and be set free to love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength is at the cross of Jesus Christ. And finally, I want us to see here that it is by Jesus' death that sins committed under the old covenant are forgiven Quoting here again the writer of Hebrews. For a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Wait a second. Did you hear that? A death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And here's what the writer is answering for you and for me this morning. For you and for me. How were people forgiven under the old covenant? Only by the blood of the Lamb. The author of Hebrews argues here that Jesus' death upon the cross works in both directions. It not only forgives the sins of those who now believe in Him, it covers the sins of all the believers in the Old Testament who live before Him in life as human beings. This assertion demonstrates the excellence of the new covenant that transcends anything imaginable in the old covenant relationship. It reaches backward and forward in scope to cover all who believe. Hallelujah. And yet all of these things are dependent upon one thing. It is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. 
in his death on our behalf. And dear family, God intends that this truth will encourage you in the absolute security we have in Jesus Christ as our mediator of this new covenant of grace. Now to help us understand and to be sure we see what's going on, the writer of Hebrews then takes us to two illustrations. The first we see in verses 16 and 17, in which we see Jesus Christ as the mediator of the new covenant, securing our eternal inheritance through death. Now in one sense, I hope you remember that in covenants, that the violator of a covenant the consequence is death. So in one very real sense, we would die if we would be brought before the judge without a mediator because we have broken our covenant responsibilities with God. And yet here in these verses, the writer does deal with the question, why did Jesus have to die is very important, but he does it in fashion of describing a last will and testament. Again, verse 16 and 17. Where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Now, in order for a will to be in force, the one who made it, who made the will, must die. I think we understand that. If you make out a legal will pertaining to everything you have, the enforcement of that will, of course, occurs after your death. When Jesus Christ came into the world, our entire eternal destiny was at stake, and it hinged on His willingness to go to the cross. Imagine the weight on the shoulders of our Savior. In order for us to have an eternal inheritance, He had to die. He knew that when he came into this world, and this is really stunning because if you think of the Word of God, God cannot die. He is immortal. That's what we read in 1 Timothy 1. But yet, on the other hand, he wills to experience death so that he would be able to destroy death from the inside and deliver those who are enslaved to death. So how can the immortal experience death? He takes on flesh and blood, human nature, as his own. And in that nature, he is able to experience death for you and for me. So in some ways, the answer is yes. God writes the last will and testament because he intended to experience death and the death of his son through the human nature that he took on in the Incarnation. Now again, this should encourage our faith and help us to see our security in the Lord, that it would deepen our understanding of God's love for us, for everything that was done, even in eternity past. From all eternity, God willed to pass on His eternal inheritance to you by grace. The death of Jesus is done. All that is required for the heirs to receive their inheritance is complete. And I kind of like asking this question. Who is the executor of God's last will and testament? 
You know, a will usually specifies the executor, and it is never the dead person who executes his own will, with one exception. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He rules to execute his will through the Spirit as he draws men and women into living relationship with with him. Well, how can that be? Well, because Jesus died, and yet, of course, he rose again. He sits at the Father's right hand as high priest of all good things to come. When verse 15 calls Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, the last will and testament, it means not only that he is the one whose death releases all the inheritance of God for us, but he also makes sure that we receive it. Hallelujah. What a Savior. It is really quite quite stunning. That's why the writer, the author of Hebrews is saying, that's why Jesus had to die. While you broke the covenant and deserved death, he died in your place to release you from the bondage of sin and to secure for you the internal inheritance that will not be taken from you. This is all quite amazing, is it not? For Jesus Christ, as the only mediator between God and man, he bridges the infinite gulf of alienation between God and man. He does so, he secures our eternal inheritance through his death. And then finally, he assures us of certain forgiveness of sin through his blood. This we see in Hebrews 9 verses 18 to 22. Listen to this again. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet, wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Here we see the crucial role of blood in both the Old Covenant and the New Blood is the cleansing agent in almost every part of the Old Covenant ritual. Ritual. Blood played a crucial role in the mediation of that Old Covenant relationship that we had. It shows its significance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, after Moses read the law to the people, he took animal blood. He sprinkled half of it, half of it on the altar and half of it on all the people. And this blood very graciously but graphically pictures the costliness of our sin. The old covenant was inaugurated with blood because death was God's decreed penalty for sin and it was the only way that restored relationship could begin to occur. Now here the author of Hebrews mentions in verse 19 a few items that are not including in the included in the account in Exodus 24. If you ever go back and read it, there is no mention in Exodus 24 of goats and water, scarlet wool, hyssop, or the sprinkling upon the book. But this is the point, that under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without blood, 
there is no forgiveness of sin. Now I've strained a little bit with this statement, under the law, almost everything is purified. And here is the exception. The exception could be a poor man who could offer a grain offering instead of an of a animal sacrifice. And yet this exception did not negate the rule that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And dear family, the truth is, every person who has ever walked the face of this earth needs the forgiveness of sins. God's uniform method for the forgiveness of sin is the shedding of blood. The writer's point is that the blood ritual did not in and of itself forgive sins. This is speaking to the old covenants. It pictured rather the need for the forgiveness of our sins and it pictured God's provision for the forgiveness of sins, but it was not God's solution in terms of Old Testament sacrifice. It all pointed to Jesus as God's solution for the forgiveness of sins. That's why he is the better priest of a better covenant, the mediator of the new covenants. As Jesus Christ died in our place before God's judgment and justice, he mediated the way to God. Indeed, if there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood, then the opposite is also true. With the shedding of blood, there is forgiveness. Quoting Hebrews 9, verse 14, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, every one of you, again, every one of us, everyone needs forgiveness of sins because our sin has alienated us from God. So look within your own heart. Go ahead and turn to your left. Turn to your right. Every one of you need God's forgiveness. You need His cleansing. And yet there is this warning that's here. You can deny guilt and become so hardened to the point that your conscience no longer bothers you. But if God is holy and if you have violated His holy standards, you stand legally guilty in His courtroom in judgment. So the main issue with guilt is not just guilty feelings, but actual legal liability. If God condemns you in the day of judgment, your guilt becomes eternal. God's decreed final penalty of sin is eternal separation from Him. Sinners have a tendency to deny their need of God's forgiveness by diminishing the holiness and justice of God and by magnifying their own goodness or merits. They wrongly think that surely God is a God of such love and a loving God would never send a person like me to total separation in hell. But the Bible is clear that God is absolutely holy and just. He will punish all sin. His love does not mean that He sets aside His holiness or His justice for His holiness and love demand that Jesus Christ come and serve as the mediator of our new covenants. The new covenant that He establishes for you and for me. 
Dear family of God, the Bible is also clear that we are far more sinful in God's presence than we ever imagined. We are born alienated from God because Adam's guilt was imputed to us, and we quickly add all of our own sins to Adam's guilt. We incurred guilt by violating God's holy standards, both by our deeds and our thoughts or our affections. Indeed, being alienated from God, you and I need a mediator to reconcile us to Him. And Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. He is the mediator of a new covenant. So go to Christ. If you've ever been involved in a legal dispute, a mediator may help the two sides come to a satisfactory agreement. The mediator listens to the terms on both sides and tries to work out the solution. And of course, we know that Christ knew God's absolute holiness. He also knew man's enormous debt of sin. And our mediator took on human flesh, lived in complete conformity to God's holy standards, and then offered himself up as the price of redemption, as God's justice demands, he shed his blood on the cross. In doing so, God has brought you and his heavenly Father together as you trust in him for your salvation. So, oh, dear people of God, trust him. Your life depends both today and on tomorrow on that trust. Know that you are able to share that love with those around you. Because every person, whether to your right or to your left, or in your family or in the neighborhood, everyone is in need of the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our only hope for fulfillment, completeness, wholeness to be able to flourish in life. His blood was shed to provide the cleansing from sin and forgiveness that we all need. So again, please apply His love to your own hearts and share that love each and every day. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the beauty of the gospel of grace. And that you would please continue to help us to understand the height, the breadth, the depth of the love of God in Christ. Especially as we see it here in Hebrews this morning. Would you please flood our hearts with gratitude for your love and help us to live lives set free as we have been redeemed by his grace and power, by the blood of Jesus. It is in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.